0: Welcome to the Mr. TV Podcast, a love letter to shows of the past. On today's episode, we're speaking with Peter A. Hyatt, the creator of Big Wolf on Campus.
1: I used to own this town, now it's all turned upside down, I wish I could figure
0: Big Wolf on campus starred Brandon Quinn, who played Tommy Dawkins, a teenager who gets bitten by a werewolf.
1: I didn't know it then, but from that night on, my life would never be the same.
0: Tommy must now rely on Murden Dingle, a goth at his school, to guide him through this new phase of his life, where his inner wolf has taken charge.
2: The fur, the yellow eyes, the voracious appetite, you got all the symptoms. You're becoming a wolf. Werewolf! And I I think I can help him. You know what I think? I think you're spending a little too much time with your fantasy freak club. It's
0: unlikely pairing, which is something Peter really loved about creating the show. I
2: thought you knew about me. Yeah. Check my teacher evaluations, okay? I have what's known as an overactive imagination. I didn't actually expect to be right. (laughs) Get this thing off of me! Um, no?
0: In our talk, we get into the show's production, the main pitfalls that were laying in wait, and why the show ultimately came to an end. So sit back and enjoy the show.
2: Peter A. Knight, uh, welcome to the
1: podcast. Thank you. Good to be here.
2: Great to have you. Uh, So today we're here to talk about Big Wolf on Campus, uh, a show that you co-created with Christopher Briggs. So I guess the first question is, is where did the series come from?
1: The series came from uh Chris and I he was my writing partner at the time, and we were writing on Sweet Valley High. We'd gotten hired together, um, and uh we'd gotten a job on Sweet Valley High Mm -hmm. in the on the third, I think, season, maybe the fourth season. Um, and they uh we wrote seven or eight episodes and we uh distinguished ourselves. We were we were twenty-five or something, um, or maybe 26. And we kind of did a, you know, did a good job for that producer. And she, the showrunner brought us on to Breaker High. My partner was very, he's a much better businessman than I am and much more mogul, mogul minded than I am. And he said, Hey, if we're going to be doing this, we should at least pitch, you know, our own stuff. Um, And I'm thinking, they let us write Breaker High, you know? And (laughs) uh, so he, so, so we, we knew that, that uh, Saban was buying, the Family Channel, and 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 that merger was happening, and so my partner just said, "Hey, we should we should pitch them." And so we talked to that showrunner, and uh, we went in and pitched Saban with uh, the executive there a bunch of ideas, and we we did a lot of work to come up with these single spaced one page, uh, absolutely full idea like in which we give every character name and all the all that kind of stuff like times 10 we just like pitched 10 and we're just sort of in the office like you know like that one it was it was pretty comical uh and then we left even because we thought we didn't want to leave anything unturned thinking that this is what pitching is spoiler this is not what pitching is uh, Okay. nor it's never been that way for me since but the the one that we had was a little spitball at the end just a couple of where we didn't go full page but we did have about five or six just spitballs And on, on our spitball list was a, um, Buffy, uh, Buffy light with a werewolf, with a teen werewolf. Okay. And, um, the, the executive said, Lance Robbins was his name said, tell me, tell me more about that one. And we said, well, you know, just kind of like the tone of Buffy, but, but with that arch tone and kind of spoof that, um, and you know that was really my partner talking because I to this day have never seen a Buffy uh, episode. Oh, okay, but right. I was very very confident that I knew that we were spoofing what I had seen of that tone, I, which I felt was a very it was new. It had a certain it had a certain gloss to it, but there was just like a a tone to that show that I, I could just <laughs> tell was like with this, you know, give me a fucking break. And and uh, but anyway. But, but my partner Chris knew it a little bit better and and knew enough as a salesman to say that it was Buffy light. And, um, so the guy, so, so the Lance was out, oh, we're going to, but we'll, we'll just buy the rights to Teen Wolf since that's a recognizable thing. And then kind of came back the next day and was like, no, that's too expensive. Uh, just do, you know, what it just come back and tell me, tell, tell us about that one. So we, we came back, we, um, we, we fleshed out the pitch. They bought the pilot. Um, and then, um, yeah, that was probably ninety six or ninety seven, uh, somewhere in there.
2: So one one detail that you mentioned was that there was a chance that Saban could have bought uh, the the rights to Teen Wolf. So there was a chance that the show could have been a sort of uh, high school TV show version of Teen Wolf.
1: Well, when you when you you know to, like I I know in saying that I'm not trying to give some you know massive revelation. It literally was right. like he he sat forward and said well we'll just get team wolf and then as re the next day was like no we're not going to do that you know right. so i i don't know why i don't it, you know there but that was the thought in the savant executive's head was you know well the, there's a title here that we can investigate and but you have but also at all times and everybody's thoughts in the Saban building was about, you know, how can you kind of do it cheaper or, or, you know um, you know, that's the guy that, that got famous doing the, and made his fortune doing the power ranger, you know, which is really ultimately a pretty brilliant hack, but it takes a certain very corner cutter corner cutting minded. uh, So, so I think it might've come from the like, Hey, there's somebody that pitched it. Should we investigate this? No, we shouldn't investigate that. It happened so fast that it's hard to say, except in the most sliding doorsy sense, you know, uh, of what it could have been. It, I don't. It wasn't like it wasn't alive that way. It, it never left Zygote, you know. That that <laughs> idea.
2: Gotcha. So, yeah. You know. So I mean, so it's 1997. You've gone sort of a go-ahead for the series, and you've started to develop it. I mean, what was your first step in creating this world of Big Wolf on Campus? Uh,
1: the the heart of it was uh, the relationship between Tommy and Merton. Mm-hmm. Um We knew uh, Briggs and I had a we had a certain certain area where we overlapped with a, with our tastes, and one thing was there was a movie called My Bodyguard uh, with a Canadian actor, I think, Makepeace, Christopher Makepeace. My bodyguard, a crazy idea. I'd like you to meet my bodyguard. Anything you want to say to me, talk to him first. That led to a great friendship. He was sort of a, a a misunderstood, big, tough guy is paired with the guy that's being picked on and they become, it's their unlikely friendship. And so we thought it would be funny to have a goth character, like a defiant you know goth character um who you know became best friends you know like the unlike unlikely friendships yeah were always something that Briggs and I we always liked movies that had a a very good believable you know unlikely friendship and it just kind of we just felt like the the you know the quarterback and the goth and they've had lockers next to each other since you know middle school <laughs> and you yeah. know but but now the one thing that the jock needs is the goth that can sort of is the guy that can understand what's happening to him and so it was that was the relationship and then everything else from there is is you know um i would say you know like the adornments you know we kind of put you know let's set it in let's have the father be the mayor let's have the mother be the newscaster and that that sort of faded after i can't remember what you know well well ultimately you know, it comes down to like who, you, you know, the producers are, and I mean, the line producers are giving, showing you a budget and saying like, if we cut this, it, we're going to be over budget and we can't shoot the thing, you know, and we're going to have to give up a day unless we cut this story. And that would be a story with the parents. And you're like, you know, the parents stories weren't the money stories. They were good actors and, and, you know, um, nice people and everything, but that, that, that sort of didn't end up being where the show lived for us. And so more, and uh, as it went on it boiled down to you know it was a no parents world Mm
2: -hmm. um it's actually it's actually funny because all the episodes are up on a youtube channel called encore plus which is a canadian uh, it's from the canadian media fund and there are people who comment on the second and third seasons whenever they see tommy's mom and like Uh oh my god guest appearance by tommy's mom it's so interesting (laughs) to see her so i mean yeah i guess that's i guess that's kind of the I guess the sacrifices you have to make when you're producing a show like this, but also the rejigging of the series when you realize that it is Tommy, Merton, Amy Castle, Rachel Lefebvre, those characters who are kind of the show.
1: Yeah. And and it's uh, it was tough because, you know, you want to you sort of want to service a lot of different things. And then your your wish list just as you as you make more and more of the episodes and you realize this is the this is what works. This is, you know, that's definitely, it's a little things. I I could have used a little more Dean. I could have used a little more TNT, you know, um, you know, I thought they, they all had, those were, those were some very fun elements to me that that were, I think in the end, a little underserved, but, you know, um, but still, you know, glad we, glad we got to do them, but just would have liked a little bit more. Whereas I think we probably would have started without the parents in a certain sense. Um, I don't know. I don't know.
2: Gotcha. So, I mean, so you've got kind of the, the show sort of built, you have this relationship between Tommy Merton as sort of the focus, um, but then you end up producing the show in Canada, I believe in Montreal. Um, yeah. How did you end up there?
1: Okay, so the, again, you sort of go to the Saban being this kind of master of looking at the, the frame that everybody else is looking at, but somehow seeing another play in it, like that's kind of the business that he was in. And, um, in, in entertainment, the formula that everybody believed in at the time was the, uh, you could get, you would get a local producer and you would do Canadian content. So that, you know, 30% of the above the, or I I actually now I'm forgetting that that's the 30% is a Hungarian formula. I also shot in in Hungary. Uh, but the, uh, I, I don't remember exactly how, but there was like a way of making up your entire budget uh before you'd even rolled so and and i guess actually no that's right a third would come from a third would come from a from the canadian side uh which and they and that that and then you had to have canadian content so like x number of above the line which is why you know danny smith is canadian but brandon isn't and then every all of the other actors were canadian um and why it didn't it didn't count against us that i was american i we had a lot of uh canadian talent writing talent um you know so so like under those circumstances you could get a third i think in tax breaks from the government um and then even and montreal actually had quebec had in additional incentives past just the, the federal canadian uh national incentive and then um there's a th- and then and then oh yeah and then the, then the producer would put up a third so you'd kind of get like this this magic you know puzzle together to go do a canadian content show as long as you kept the budget you know incredibly brutally painfully uh then you know then you could do it and uh you know and so that was the first that was my that was my opportunity. and and it was just they found a there was a company called Telescene that was that mm-hmm. is now that is now out of business um, that was, that was active in Montreal. And they were, they were uh, getting into television and, and uh, we did two seasons with them. And, and uh, then two seasons or one, two or one, I don't remember. Then there was Cinegroup was the next company that, that came along. And, um, and in that period, Fox family became ABC family. um, And, uh, you know, and it it aired on on TV as well.
2: So, there's just, just a whole mess of companies involved in producing this Yeah, thing. just, just, it, yeah. just,
1: I, I think that, that uh, you know, um, some companies that were sort of trying some different things in the low budget space, then, and they went the way a lot of experimental things. And I think mm-hmm. an unfortunate, an unfortunate consequence is the show not ever having really left orbit. Um, but I, you know, I don't have any specific regrets because, it, it's alive as a, it's, it's part of my memory. It's part of you know, it's part of what I um, you know when I want to tell myself I'm I'm a competent professional. I can think, well, I did 65 episodes of Big Wolf and people still talk about it today. But it, it's not the same as you know like you know a show that you can you just simply say the name Buffy or you know or like and an, you know it, it would have a have a resonance beyond. Uh, so it so it didn't achieve that. It didn't make anybody any vast fortunes. Um and I think it may have put two Canadian companies out of business. But it's a it's sad that it was never sold. You know, they they have these they have these um uh markets for for where where producers who have, you know, uh 65 episodes of a thing can go and sell it into syndication markets around the world and they happen in in can. And I'm just imagining how much better it would have been if Chris and I had gone to these, to, to represent, to, you know, to say like, here are the 28 year old creators of this, you know, show and let them tell you about it. If there's whining and dining to be done or if there's, you know, I, I don't know how to sell things, but I mean, I know how to represent the a product that I, you know, more or less believed in. Um, but uh, yeah, so that, that was a, uh, you know that that's kind of ultimately the sad part of big wolf is that it never it never left orbit because it because the the parties making it di- did not you know it, it was not easy to make for for whatever reason or p- p- too many corners were cut or, or right, too, you it. know were too, the margins were too thin or something um i don't know
2: yeah i mean uh, i guess that's that's an interesting thing to sort of hear that yeah the, the syndication would have helped it but you know to me i, I feel like the the fan base still exists, and people still talk yeah. about the show. And if you talk to someone specifically from Toronto, for whatever reason, in my age demographic, and you say Big Wolf, it's a good chance that they'll know what it is because they're watching yeah. it on YTV. YTV, yeah. yeah. So, it, it, to me, is a huge show, and, and really, like, one of my favorite shows as a, as a, as a young watcher. Um, but interesting to hear about some of the, the sort of the background things that are sort of going on in production
1: yeah, I I guess I, I guess I should say that, that uh it, it also aired here twice a day for three years yeah. uh, on ABC Family and it did have a small it did have a small uh you know but devoted fan base. And I do love I love that people are still talking about it today. It it, it tickles me, you know, to no end. And uh it, because it was this it was a great time in my life that I only perceived at the time as being difficult. Right. You know, but, yeah. but I, but I look back on it and it's, it's, uh, you, you know, again, it was a trial. It was very hard. It was very hard to make.
2: Yeah. Was, and and you're, wh- why was it hard to make? What were some of the challenges?
1: In the beginning, especially, it was the the challenge of, uh, being thrown into the deep end of the swimming pool to learn how to swim. Okay. Um, I had been, Chris and I had been staff writers, um, and now suddenly we're showrunners and, um, there is a tremendous amount of responsibility that goes into that. And, and there's a tremendous amount of, um, of accountability and output. You have to be on top of every little change that has to go go this. So now you got to put out a page to change this because we lost that location. And there, uh, and there really wasn't anybody there that we felt was there to help us for instance, to walk into the production office, Chris's name was misspelled on the, on the, you know, you, you walk in and there are all these like, you know, envelopes with everybody's names on it. And Chris's name is misspelled. The first and, name or last name? Uh, uh, Both. <laughs> um, and, okay. and, and, it, and it was just, you know, and it's, and it was like, Oh, and the, because we were young and, and, I think that that a lot of people in Canada kind of didn't understand that we, uh, you know, who, th- there was I think more of a of a system and a hierarchy and a pecking order and a, um, and I think it was just kind of like who who are these fucking guys and why are we doing you know as if and then not a, not and I don't want to say, you know, a lack of respect because you know, nobody owes anybody respect for, you know, the the, like they're fucking scripts about a werewolf. So how am I, I'm not looking for, you know, I'm not looking for wild respect, but just like the amount of respect that it just to do your job. Well, you know, you, you, you need, that wasn't quite there. And they also, uh, they kind of strong arm us into hiring a director that we weren't, you know, and then the director was a, uh, a very, uh, I think, you know, an acclaimed artist, um, yeah. but he was, I think, not really, a, not interested really in doing television and certainly not interested in hearing from us. I remember one early day in Montreal, I probably had been there a week and and the director said, he said, oh, you want to see the maquette, which was the, the, the wolf look. Right, yeah. And I said, yeah. I said, yeah. And, and, and I looked at it, and he goes, "We're going to the meeting now." And he showed it to me, and I was like, "No, no, no, this isn't." And he goes, "No, no, no, we're already doing it." And then I said, "Where is this meeting?" I was like, "No, I, th- this is not it at all. This is not what we want." And you know, there was he was saying to me, like, "What was I going? Why was I going to the special effects meeting?" Was that was the question? And it was sort of like, "Hold on, we hired you, like you know the the and and there was a you know." And again, he's 45 and I'm 28 and maybe, you know, I, I, and I don't, you know, and he's, he's, there wasn't a huge language barrier. I wouldn't say that, but there, I think there was a little bit of a, in those early days, we hadn't, you know, there was just a, a lot of, because of our youth an assumed vacuum for, for people to jump into and to push us out of and fighting some of those battles took a lot out of us. And ultimately, it's why Chris left. He 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 had a big problem with, with um, an executive producer, that had uh, his name was Peter Pearson, and I'll go on I'll go on record, you know, uh, but but Peter was identified very early on. I'd say almost before anybody else, he was he had been friends with Robin Spry, who who ran Telescene. and be- because of that connection, he was he was there on set, and he just sort of could see between me and chris and danny and brandon he just was like yeah i think there's something here so he was able to tell robin like don't give up on these guys but it was at a time when he was hoping to kind of come in and be a showrunner but he was not we he, we we never had his input on writing I mean, he would offer it but it wasn't sort of he wasn't part of what the network was buying into so it was a very strange fit and there were some power struggles and and i I, I, my partner said, bullshit, I'm not taking this. So either they get rid of that guy or I go. And I said, I said, I totally respect that decision, but I'm going to stay whether he goes or not. Um, and uh, so, so Chris left at that point. So that was a real low point. We were just barely begun shooting. We'd fired that, that director, Jean Pellerin, even telecine finally saw it and they fired him. And they fired another executive producer, another guy that was quite a bit older. Um, and they took a little stock of what was going on. And I think that what they found was that we had a bunch of good scripts. There were more scripts in the pipeline. Brandon and Danny were working. And so uh, Peter and I uh, for, kind of had a coalition that worked for that first season. And there was a there was need for, he was experienced in, in certain respects and he handled certain aspects of um you know of things but by the second season it was a little more contentious where i one i was sort of searching for his contribution and in a and then by the third season in a world of ever ever increasing budget cuts and things like that i said i know a place we can save a bunch of money and so then he was gone by the by the third season but but it it would be uh it would be incorrect to say that he was anything other than instrumental in making sure that that it didn't exactly flush down the toilet. I I don't know what he, you know, I don't know whether he, he, but he was just witness to something going on on the set that he could really speak to that was kind of special about the show. And um, I had a, I had a difficult relationship with him that was sometimes great. And I, I, but I, but there was a, there were just a couple of things that really uh, I couldn't quite abide by in terms of how how things were handled, ha- how comportment. But I have I, I certainly I certainly give him credit for helping, uh, especially in that first season. Yeah. Um, uh,
2: one question I have for you, and, and we can sort of move on to talking about some of the actors who are on the show after this. Is you know I've talked to creators who have varying levels of um, I guess involvement in the shows that they're in. Some just provide the idea and let the producers sort of. Uh, take charge after that. I mean, how involved were you and Christopher in like the day-to-day, getting everything done for a show? Like, how involved were you? Like,
1: as as involved as you can be, really. Um, I mean, I I found out one one thing. I found out is that the editor uh, there was some there was some issues with the edits where it, uh, they were. Peter was they were Peter was sort of the voice that they were listening to. So you'd give your notes expecting to see you know what you had discussed but no they've been overridden by some and you're thinking that's not that's not how this is going to work okay you, you, you know like like so you have a that's that's the type of you know
2: okay so you're i mean you're right in the edit suites trying to make yeah, sure yeah, like, yeah, like in the edit going. in the
1: sound mix you know um little things like uh the 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 special effects meetings and all the production meetings and and they were all happening essentially under one roof, mm-hmm. which uh not not entirely under one roof. There would be, you know, uh the special effects meeting in downtown Montreal, in, in uh, old town Montreal. And um, you know, but so you, you'd you would be you'd go to those. Um and then uh all of the casting was by tape, uh episode episode to episode. So you would just get a VHS and you'd pop it in and you know, it's, oh, this this'll this one'll play, you know, Frank's <laughs> done. You know. Uh, or, or you know, what, what have
2: you? Gotcha. And uh, one little note, maybe I'll, I'll I'll pop this back in somewhere earlier. But you mentioned that the you had the the conversation about the original sort of look for Tommy as a werewolf. Yeah. Was that why there was a difference between the yes. sort of first sort of few episodes with that, and then yeah, there's okay. Yeah, we so. we
1: did not the, the the reference for us in every single meeting was what is this guy going to look like, and we said it's just Jack Nicholson and wolf. Okay you know, like it's just going to be a little sideburn work, maybe some, you know, some, some brows, some, you know, essentially, um, it took a little work to get to the finished look of, of Tommy, but I got to where I like that look quite a bit.
2: Okay. Cause it, uh, it really did seem a little, the, the first look did seem like a lot of putty on the face a little no, bit. No, it's fucking awful. I hate yeah. that.
1: I, I, and I remember, I mean, that was what, that was one of the things that drove me crazy is, is, uh, it's it's fun it's f- funny because I'm working I don't know why I got my phone uh, I'm working on a show right now with some with some first time creators and all I want to make sure is that they get to know, no no hold on hold on is that what you're talking about is that you know like really trying to be in there whereas my first experience was was a little rougher than that it just just like a like a kind of came into a power struggle where this director was trying to take it in in one way that was really looping chris and i out and yet we were the ones that were doing all of the writing and the kind of conceiving and then hiring the you know i mean it was just a little bit like it it was uh i don't know it was it was an early i i have sometimes joked that to the extent that i became a man it happened on that show (laughs)
2: um and I mean, it's so interesting to think that you're you're 28 and in charge of an entire show. When I was 28, I I wasn't in charge of anything.
1: <laughs> well, like, but that's not like yeah. it, it, it the, the the yes, the story begins with a lightning strike. You're not that's not supposed to happen even in, in the States, but you know, people do and and it wasn't like we broke through like um it wasn't an exciting breakthrough like Lena Dunham or or you know or like you know what I mean, like like you know of filmmakers with something to say it was like no these guys that kind of slipped in the back door did Sweet Valley High and Breaker High never did a network show but now we're running you know it was like it was always a it was always a boondoggle to to a certain extent
2: well I mean let's get into talking about some of the people who made the show what it is and we're talking about actors like Brandon Quinn who played Tommy P. Dawkins Uh, how did you find him?
1: uh the the old fashioned way uh Brandon came in and we saw a lot of people and um I'd love to see a who's who I wonder if we saw anybody that you know we uh um you know that would that would make us laugh now but um but Brandon came in and right away I I went like oh my god just as he walked in and then he he read and it was pretty good um but a little bit a little bit rough you know he hadn't done a ton of acting at that point but it was there was something really raw and exciting about it. And I ran out to the elevator bank. Um and I said, Hey, hey, come would you come on back and and you know, like I gave him just a couple of notes or something? But but mostly I gave him a little bit of a confidence of like we 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 I like that a lot. Will you do that again? And so so he came back in and uh and you know and, and we you know we that that was uh that was how we got Brandon. And um yeah. That, that, that was at the Saban building in, in uh, Westwood.
2: I mean, what what really... I mean, you know, uh, Brendan Quinn, like, he's a pretty tall, strapping young dude. Like, he, he yeah. kind of looks like the football player. Um, but he's kind of... I don't know. He, he's really silly and kind of awkward in the show, too. He's not your typical jock who goes around pushing people around. I mean, yeah. what stood out a bit about him as a person that kind of made him fit into the role?
1: So, the... the- you know i think that that one of tommy's defining uh features is really no malice toward anyone in particular you know he he said he really has a very even spirit to him and and uh, and could welcome anyone you know uh you, you know would meet anyone on the right you know on the right terms um and and brandon Brandon has some of that, you know, like, so, so it's, but it's not, it wasn't like there were, he, he also did to what you're saying. Like he could, he could inhabit the realm of awkward where you, where you understood that he's not, um, I don't know. I thought, I, I think ultimately it was a, a very, it's very convincing portrayal. And I think that I, I love, um, I, I love, Brandon's moments. Um, he's he does great physicality His when, when you see when when he's in a fight and you see it's Brandon, there's a physicality to that's very it's distinct. It's distinct, like it, 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 you know, like, 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 you know, when you're hearing Keith Richards guitar, like there's a physicality to how Brandon moves that I love that he can bring kind of a silliness to, and a, as you say, he was a football player in high school. And I think that his acting career was the result of, you know, he got injured and then they were doing 12 angry men and at his, at his high school. And then I think he kind of never looked back and it was, you know, I think he was a promising football uh, maybe, you know, prospect. Yeah. So, so I think that, that I love Brandon's physicality, but I also loved when you would put him in a situation where, you know like with a girl where the, you know when the princess uh, you know from from uh, like Hanthea is telling him that you know that that he it, you know that that he's hot or whatever and he's like I'm blushing you know I'm blushing over here you, you know and like when you, the, I thought the way he played those moments was really and especially as as he went on he got great he got you know I think those were some sweet spots for him I came here because because Tommy is so cute. I'm serious. All the other heroes on
2: Lacanthia are total dorks. Oh, man. totally blushing here. <laughs> yeah. Well, one th- one thing I'd say that is, you know, um as we talked about before, I mean, Tommy is one half of a pair. Yeah. And then there's Merton. Um mm-hmm. what do you remember about Danny Smith's uh, audition for the role?
1: Okay. I remember um we we looked around a lot and we were looking for something incredibly specific although we didn't realize it at the time but but like we needed a charming nerd you, you know like someone who could walk the line at any given site so, you know just just and that's so hard to find the people that can really do you know that can that can just move in and out of you know one or the other and so i remember starting to just hate hearing the sides. The, that's, that's what they, that, those are the lines that the actors audition with. I just remembered like, oh my God, if I hear these sides, these sides are so bad. And when you've been searching long enough and you have competent casting people working long hours to try and find you just the right people and they can't, you start hearing your words and you, you think, I- I'm a garbage hack awful writer. These lines suck. Like no one, uh, you start to not blame the people that are not doing it. Well, you're just living in the space of, and then we saw Danny on tape. And I went, no way. This is great. No, this, this can work. Uh, He could take those huge paragraphs and just crunch them and find Music inside of them, and uh, you know, all that sort of irrational confidence that goes right next to the lack of confidence. Um, and and just it just screamed off of a tape. And it was a in and and there was a little bit of like, well, no, if you're going to have an American, you can't have a a Toronto, you know, guy. So they brought in a couple of other people that we had to look at, right? And we said, we said, sure, sure, we'll 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 look and then we'll let the network decide, knowing full well that we were, we were like very confident that Danny was, was right. And so, especially early on, we leaned into that. You know, we knew that we had, as, as you say, it's a two hammer. You've got to help me, man. I'm not evil, I'm just,
2: Harry. In the history of werewolf cinema, good werewolves have only appeared in Teen Wolf and Teen Wolf 2. Those are comedies. Really? <laughs> well, I don't think they're that funny. Yeah. One thing I noticed is I've seen the two of them sort of interact with each other on Twitter, and they honestly seem like they're actually, like, really good friends. Um, I mean, how did they gel when they were on set?
1: It's, it's funny because I want to talk about it like, oh, it's magic, you know. Um, but, you know, it, the, the, that's for other people to decide, you, you know. Um, I do know that there is something that made me ha- really happy, uh, when I would, you know, see the cuts and I would feel, feel their friendship. And it, it is for, for sure. It's Dan Danny and Brandon have, you know, deep affection for each other. We all, the, in fact, the, that pair, I just never really got sick of it. You, you know what I mean? I, I just kind of, I believed in their ability and I, and I think that, I think that they're, uh. I, I wish they'd gotten a slightly bigger audience than than they did so that they could have, you know, you could sort of grow into something else more, you know, like as a natural extension of that or further seasons that, that were sort of more, you know, I, I wish they'd gotten a, more of a sniff because, you know, to, to compare it to what was on at the time, I, I feel like it was, I, I hope that people that enjoyed it felt like they were getting something a little special, you know, like, I hope they enjoyed it slightly differently than they enjoyed their other thing, you know, because I, d- I did always believe there was just like, not that I ever thought that we were doing, you know, the Sopranos, but, but I, 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 I did kind of feel like every now and then I would say to Chris, like, am I crazy or is this show better than it should be? <laughs> you know? And, 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 you know, he, he would say, you know, same things, same things back sometimes for you're, because, you know, the budgets were, so small i mean the number of times that we went outside i think is there was that there was a a lot of b-roll that was shot the football day so we did one day of football in the first season with still i think used clips of it into the third and um and then there's one shot where the demon biker is riding into town and and that was just literally a stolen shot uh as he rides into Pleasantville, no permits, they just, you know, run and gunned it. And then other than that, I don't think we went outside and all that, that town square that was set up and the factory set, the factory set was as big as town square. Um, and you know, Merton's Lair was an awesome set that that was a lot of fun. And I knew, I knew that, that goth kids would kind of love that, you know, um, and all those touches. And, uh, And then the school, you know, like those were the, those were the standing sets. Um, that's where, you know, I, 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 I don't know. I have, I really, um, I have only great memories of, of doing it.
2: When you're talking about budget, I mean, how much money are you really talking about per episode? Like 200,000, 400,000?
1: Uh, it was, I think 300.000. 30 canadian at the time which was 220 some u.s at the time
2: yeah i mean to to maybe to listeners that seems like a lot of money but it really isn't (laughs) that's that's not a lot of money to work with
1: an episode of riverdale i bet you is millions yeah several million i think i think let me use real numbers in 2011 i shot a pilot that was about three and a half million um And, you know, that was probably they would in the hope of getting week in, week out episodes down to one nine or something, you know, but um, I don't know. I'm throwing out numbers. Please, please. Nobody who knows numbers come and bounce (laughs) on me if I'm wrong.
2: Um, well, one thing that you mentioned about uh, Merton's character is that you thought he would appeal to sort of the goth crowd. But I mean, yeah. I was never a goth, but I was that nerdy kid who had gelled hair who did identify a bit with Merton. Um, yeah. Did you kind of know or hear from fans about you know how they felt about these two characters and if they identified with either of them?
1: Another thing I'm kind of grateful for is the the fun of having... It, I don't want to say it was pre-internet, but I was not scrubbing the internet looking for what were people saying about big wolf on campus or thinking that there would be places where meaningful conversations were were going on about it. I I just, I I don't know. I just kind of, for whatever reason it, that I wasn't thinking that. And um, it was in the break between the second and third season. And I was going into, I I was hearing a pitch uh, from some writers that I, that I'd read a script and liked. And I, blanking on their names, but they wrote, um, uh, they wrote the, I dream of Becky episode, uh, and they're very nice. I just don't remember their names, but, um, they, they, I, I said, Oh, you know, give me a, give me the weekend and I'm going to write up some, I'll, I'll, give you some episode summaries to give you an idea of the type of episodes that we do. And they said, Oh, no, no, don't worry. We've seen the site. And I, and I said, I don't know what, what are you talking about? What's the site? And they said, big wolf on campus.org. Right. And that was a day that made me feel really good. You know, it was like, cause, cause I, I had, uh, I, I don't have, I didn't have kids at the time. So I wasn't even really, I, 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 I had a TV, but I would, you know, I wasn't even watching TV much at the time. So like, let alone not paying attention to what's on ABC family channel in the afternoon, you know, Um, so it was like, I, I would check out the episodes, but by the time they were airing, you know, I've seen every episode, you know, 20 times, um, and, you know, have kind of gone over points of quality control or, you know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but, uh, I just had no sense of who is, is anybody watching this? My, my, my only confirmation, the pinging of the beacon, the only thing was that they're ordering more. So you're like, okay, well, I guess, you know, 22 more means that somebody's, you know, I I guess somebody's, you know, we never saw any numbers. I didn't do a lot of checking that kind of stuff out. Um, and, uh, and then, but, but that website, which I saw going into the third made me realize, oh, people are finding it. They're liking, you know, they're liking the things you want them to like. Um they, they are willing to forgive you when you're cheesy in this way. And, and that, and, you know, um, there were, there were, there are, uh, you know, it, it's just, it's just this thing that found it's, uh, it found some people that, that are still willing to talk about it today. And it, it just, that, again, I love it because it only takes me back to, you know, that time in Montreal. Yeah. It was so much fun.
2: For sure. I mean, I have some questions uh, related to Adam Tyner and and his website, um, but before we sort of talk about that, I, we can't forget that there are two other pretty quintessential characters on the show. There's Stacy, played by sure. Rachel Lefebvre, and uh, Amy Castle's character, Lori. Yeah. Um, I guess my question is is that I know that uh, Rachel's character ended up leaving the show after the first season because yeah. she was young and had to go to university. Uh-huh. Um, but for you, was that kind of part of, I guess was she supposed to be a character that was supposed to continue on to the second third season did having to recast kind of throw you for a loop with a new character
1: okay that is the the character itself of stacy hansen Mm -hmm. is a terrible it's a terrible piece of fiction like it's just like and it's what it's what happens when you're when you pitch 10 shows at a time you know what i mean you just kind of like you think oh the the it's very first thought. I mean, it's, 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 it's wildly first thought, like the quarterback. uh Oh, so the girl, that'll be the cheerleader, you know, and then you end up, and then you kind of put this coat of paint on her that she sort of is the, the, you know, uh, uh, you know, kickboxer a little bit as well. Like, you know, cause she has her fight and, and there wasn't so, so like to begin with before Rochelle has even been cast, it's a, it's not a good character. And that's fair. You know, like I don't mean to like, I'm not trying to be overly self-deprecating, but they're just, there's just too many strikes where you're like, dude, you just, I would give myself notes on this, like find another dimension for this you know, character. Yeah. And so we kind of never did. Then we cast Rochelle who was very good and, and, you know, did everything we, we asked her to do, but ultimately it was just kind of, it, it was that my partner had left and so I'm thinking about the second season and I'm just thinking how am I how am I going to suddenly make the character more interesting when I, I you know so it was a little bit of like a, I, I just I'm a little bit better at this now I just kind of want to hit reset um and so and and it, Rochelle obviously went on to have a, a wonderful career that's still still thriving um but uh, that was that that was what it was. It was I just kind of wanted to reset and said, what is where would you put, you know, where would you bring in a good female character into this space now? And so we wanted somebody that was kind of on the hunt at first and, and then gets in on the secret. And, and then, you know, and then it, it really sort of had that, um, you know, the Batgirl Girl fighting with Batman and Robin, you know, a little bit, which Batman being one of my favorite shows as, as a kid. But, you know, there was, there was, uh, you know, that's, that's what, that that was my correction in 1999. Okay. Uh, how would I do it if I were doing it today? I'm sure I would make other, you know, corrections to make it. We didn't have, I think in 65 episodes, we had three female writers, you know, very, very poor showing of minority representation in the casting you know things that you look back, you look back now and you and you think that's just not how you do it today it just you know it and for for good reason of course um but it's uh but it is a document of its time and that, you know and and uh uh and it, you know and 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 for whatever reason people have like i said you have to you have to have some sort of a forgiving lens if you can appreciate big wolf on campus because you're seeing through certain little, you know, um, we not spent, you know, not wonderful effects every time, although, although, you know, sometimes some very good effects. Um, and, uh, you know, you're fighting, you're shooting fights in, in, you know, in a four hour block instead of the way you'd shoot a fight in a movie over, you know, two weeks. Um, so, so little things like, you know, the, uh, one of our very best directors, Mark Jean, uh, does that fight in the, um, where they go to Lycanthia and it's all just kind of shadows against the wall. And it was like, fuck it. We, like we literally don't have time to shoot a fight in a satisfying way. So we kind of came up with the gauntlet falling and had to, you know, get approval from the standards and practices. Can we shoot the, if he doesn't see it through his, you know, like all, all kinds of negotiation to get yeah. that scene. But that was another, another fun ask. So did you have any further questions about, about Rochelle and, and May or? or? Um
2: not really i guess i guess i always did see stacy kind of rewatching the series now it's kind of that kind of that damsel in distress kind of character always being left on on like left alone on a date with tommy or something like that yeah like, it, i mean yeah it's it, it's
1: it, it's the worst writing on the it's the worst writing on the whole series is everything w- what we left her with it's just it's like I, and i feel bad i feel bad because but you know we did i think hitting reset helped in the end i think that was a that was the right thing. And I do, and I think that Amé that brought a lot to it. And Laurie was a fun, you know, was a fun character and not, you know, and, and sort of had some, had some, you know, had some sparks of her own that weren't just sort of love interest sparks, which was all we left Rochelle with. You know, it's kind of like saying, okay, so you're just going to pick up this 500 pound weight and carry it around with you throughout all of your scenes and action, you know. Uh, there, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot there and, and, uh, um, but I, I did funnily, funnily enough, probably six years ago, I was at a pop-up restaurant in LA, which was not, you know, I haven't been to one since, but, um, but it was a fun, fun thing that somehow my, my wife heard about and May was there with Rochelle.
2: Whoa. There you go. And we took a
1: picture. We, we, we all, we all took a picture, um, but uh it was I hadn't seen a in a long time and I certainly hadn't seen Rochelle since you know, since since season
2: one. Well yeah. kind of a mini reunion many years later, I guess.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, kind of getting to the end here, but I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Adam Tyner's website, bigwolfoncampus.org, because yeah, I used it for a lot of research uh, in preparing for this interview, and there's a lot of notes on his website which I found very interesting. But yeah, he he did a tour of the uh, the set and the production offices mm-hmm. around the season's finale. Yeah. Um, but something that I kind of I noticed that was interesting is he also talked about, you know, having dinner with you at some diner or something like that. But you seem to kind of know that the show was coming to an end at that point. Yeah. Um, but why did the show come to an end? Like, why did it not continue on?
1: Well, like, kind of the classic reason. It wasn't making money. Right. <laughs> you know, like, I, I think that that's like the, you know... Uh, and, and something that I am at least, you know, I feel good about where a lot of, um, a lot of shows are not given the dignity of kind of finishing. Um, we did get to, we, you know, we knew, okay, this is it. And every season was the first season ended and it was sort of like, I felt like we had a really interesting show in the can. Interesting. You know, I mean, like I, I believed in the show that we had in the can um, but it was, but telecine was collapsing and Fox family was becoming ABC. So it was like, that was this like, oh, uh, and it took maybe four extra months of we don't know ism. And I'd get calls from the actors and, and, you know, like, Hey, you know, is, is are we coming back? And, and you just have that helpless feeling of, I don't, I don't know, I have anything to tell this person. Um, and so you just say, I don't know. I have no idea. I, I believe that they want to, but you know, you're just hearing information and then suddenly, Hey, guess what they're doing? It. Oh, okay. And then, you know, then it all starts kind of winding up again. And then you you're back in Montreal and you believe it. Um, and, um, yeah. Uh, so, so then I think just at the end of the third, they sort of figured, I don't know. I don't remember exactly how, um, I wonder whether the fact that, um, so one thing that's great about the old version of how they did things like this was 22 episodes because 22 episodes, you can still get a couple of things wrong and still have a great season, you know? And when you, the, the, the orders that they have now, 12 episodes, eight episodes, like that's hard that's, that's, you know, there's, there's fewer places to to hide. And and that was a good, that, that helped me a lot as a training ground to have, to have 22 episodes. And so I think partly that is to answer your, your question about knowing that it was going to end. It wasn't like we were stopped in the middle, the way that, you know, like a network show might, they just pull the plug. We're not going to, maybe, maybe you shoot the remaining three episodes, but they're never going to air. This was like, we knew, and because it was twenty two I think there was enough time to say, "Well, just finish it, so at least we you know got to take them to college um in the final shot you know and um and you know implied a little bit of a happy ending, yeah, um, where they're still talking to Lori. And-
2: i mean what was that like when you kind of sort of i guess wrapped the series for brandon uh amy and and Danny what was that like for them
1: it was um very, um, emotional. Um, I, uh, I'll tell you the, the very last shot was, um, they're leaving the lair and they're all together. And, uh, one of our great directors, Eric Kenwell was directing it. Um, we, I loved our directors by the way. And the other one is Carl Goldstein. Um, I've mentioned, three and, and there, there were several that were great, but those are the three that I can I, I can really recall. great moments of their insights about how to efficiently shoot something or some funny gag that they thought was worth fighting for and pushed push me off of my initial reluctance. Um, and uh, you know people I could really work I worked really well with those guys that they, they were terrific. Um, but uh, Eric was there, this was the, the shooting the last shot. Um, so he got the emotional kind of goodbye and they leave the lair, but then he goes, no, I want to get, I want to get one more. Everybody go back to the places. Um, and I was in, uh, Brandon's wolf makeup uh, and and wearing the stuntman outfit. And so he called, you know, shoot and then open the door and, uh, we jump out me and our line producer, Christian Gagné and another woman who was dressed like Laura we, we, you know, jump out, hugged everybody, champagne's popping. And you know, that was the final, that was the final shot, um, in what, like, you know, maybe April of 2001 or something, I yeah. know, excuse me, of 2002, yeah. I think April of 2002.
2: That's a nice way to go out though. It's really yeah, kind of sweet. Way to go out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> wow. Oh, the hay fever's murder on the old allergies, huh? Yeah, yeah. it's, uh, it's <laughs> really, really bad this year. <laughs> okay, well, do you guys want to, do you want to, let's go. <sighs> Nothing left to see here, everybody out. If the show had continued on to a fourth season, fifth season, yeah. was there a kind of a plan in place for what was going to happen, or had that not taken shape yet?
1: No, no, no plan. Never, never got to, you know, um... If somebody said you know, that they wanted to do a season of Big Wolf on campus uh, right now, I'd, I'd, I would jump in, I'd do it. and I, I wouldn't have any thought in mind ahead of time and I'd get the right people together. We'd get a season together. We'd figure yeah. something out. I, I have thought about you know, revisiting the... Uh, and and there, I was working with a, a woman named Annie Bruner who is a, is a, a fan of Brandon's. She created, a, she created another show that, that Brandon worked on um that was on lifetime and she's a terrific writer and we we talked about i that taking a kind of a cue from uh riverdale where riverdale takes the you know looks at the material of archie and makes this melodrama that is you know looks so sexy and and it's it's just you know i just thought that's crazy like like I, so i was thinking what if you sort of redid big wolf revisit it in the sort of like it was a dc universe like sort of arrow or or and it you and and um i ran into annie brunner at brandon's birthday party uh a couple of years back and um we were talking and i said you know i've been thinking about revisiting it but this time i would want it to be brandon's uh that the tommy's daughter it, it, it she would be the one oh. And, um, and she was like, Oh, okay. And then the next morning I, I woke up to like, a Hey, great to meet you last night. Email with a little blurb about, you know, her sort of pitch for the opening scene. And it literally gave me goosebumps of, <laughs> of how to start it. And, and so we, we worked, we, we worked up a little bit of a pitch to say, you know, to, to take it out to a couple of places. And I, I couldn't get anybody to go for it. And the, the problem is that, uh, Big Wolf does not quite have, or you know, maybe we could sell it in Canada. You um, could, yeah. Big Wolf does not quite have the um the sale ability, <laughs> you know, like that that you might think. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 not if we put out an NFT tomorrow, maybe don't buy. Uh <laughs> but you know, it, it's just it's just I and I think I even control the rights now. I think Chris and I literally by legal, you know, definition, we can we control the rights to the characters now. So so it's it's free and clear ours to to do what we want with it. Uh there were uh I've seen some um artists, you know, doing putting up their art, and, and there was one I can't remember the guy's name, I hate to not give somebody credit, but he would do, he had kind of a queer take on on Big Wolf. And you know, and I thought his art was terrific. And, and there was a part of me it it's like, Let's do it as like a, you know, do a, do a comic book of it. And, and, you know, like have that, have there be like a, take his, you know, do his take on it. um, And, you know, like kind of believing that to a certain extent uh, it belongs to the fans. I mean, it's, you know, I, 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 I mean, if I felt like I could make zillions of dollars doing something, I might be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. you know, but like, I don't know whether, you know, I've tried, I've, I've, I've given it the old college try. I have not broken my back to make sure that, that there was a second life for, for it. But um, you know, if, if somebody out there wants to be a hero, um, you know, y- you'd find me going, hell yeah. And helping you if I can, but also I don't think anybody needs my help. Um, you know, I don't think any, I, I, I shouldn't say, I don't automatically assume that somebody would need my help in making this, have an, have an interesting and compelling second life. But I, I, but if you, but if you, if you want my help, you know, you know, and, and, you know, the other person you mentioned, Adam Tyner and his website, yes, he had a great visit. He wrote about it. Uh, five-star guy, Adam Tyner, but the other important voice, in Big Wolf Nation that I I must shout out is Allison Pregler um uh, uh oh, I see her on Twitter obscura lupa I think is her name but but Allison Pregler um she does the Baywatch uh episode reviews and she's very funny and uh she she did a video that I thought was just the perfect summation like if if I'm ever trying to make somebody understand wait so what was this show her assessment is, and it's, it's, it's loving, but it, it is, it, it gives that forgiving lens, but she kind of like, and eh, it's a little bit lame in this one, a little bit, <laughs> you know, like, but, but I thought right. it just like perfectly diagnosed us. So I, I always think, you know, if people like Adam and people like and Allison I think of as kind of like, that's, that's the heartbeat of big wolf nation. Uh, you know, are those, are those two. And then of course, you know, my the writers that i that i'm still in touch with to this day the guy that wrote butch comes to shove and i play uh you know uh, compu- you know tel- uh, iphone pool you know all the time and and dan Kulpman shout him out he's he's awesome and shipley shipley and bernstein who are fantastic rick nigholm and rob baird who went on to write monsters inc i mean you yeah, know we had a lot of wonderful a lot, a lot of good times in
2: there. yeah well i mean if, if the show ever comes back No matter what form, I'm there for it, for sure. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. (laughs) So That's great. Well, uh, Peter Knight, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure getting to know you and learning a lot about Big Wolf on campus.
1: Yeah, good luck with the podcast.
0: Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard, share this episode over the social media airwaves or leave a review. Stay tuned for more.